Well, good morning, church. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on Hosea. We're going to be in, uh, in chapter 8, looking at verses 1 through 6. But, um, but I want to begin this morning by, um, by sharing a story with you, if I could. Um, I guess a, a COVID quarantine story. But not many weeks ago, um, my wife, she, um, she, uh, she began preheating the oven for supper one night. And she sits down on the couch and... And then she hears what she describes as a loud pop. Now, I'm not at the house at this point in time. And um, so she hears this pop, and she gets up off the couch. And, um, and she walks around, looks in the kitchen, and she sees through the window of the oven something glowing. So she hasn't put anything in the oven yet, but yet it's glowing. So she goes over there, and she peeks inside, and she finds that the heating element has blown, and it's now on fire. So... My wife, being the quick thinker she is, and, and I'm proud to know that she can handle anything at this point, she grabs the fire extinguisher, and, uh, and she hits it, and then she actually double taps it. So she puts out this fire in her oven. But what I want to point out is not that far before this happened, um, the oven was on, and I looked in there when I was getting something out or putting something in, but I noticed at the back of the oven where the heating element comes out of the wall the back there, that it was glowing, like very bright orange glow right there. And it seemed odd to me. Um, I'd never seen it before, but I saw it and I noticed it, but I didn't do anything about it. And lo and behold, that is the very place that this heating element blew and caught on fire. And thankfully, my wife responded the way that she did and was able to address it. But the point I'm getting at is it highlighted an issue is that there were warning signs of that thing going bad. And I noticed it. I thought it bad. I thought something would be wrong, but I didn't do anything with it. I didn't do anything with that knowledge. And then it blew, caught on fire, and thankfully nothing else happened. But potentially what could have happened was she didn't see it. She was outside, didn't hear it. It could have made a bigger flame, burned the oven up potentially, burned the kitchen down. So many potential things could happen from that. But before anything happened, I saw an issue, but I did nothing about it. So what we end up doing is, um, so that's, that oven was done. The cooktop, it was bad. We had one burner that um, it was either really high or every other dial around it, around the dial was um, not high at all. We had another one that took forever to heat up. So we just decided instead of fixing the heat element, let's, let's get rid of it and get a new oven. So we go to Home Depot, we buy a new oven, love it, convection oven. New cooktop, glass cooktop. It's got three burners on one side for different size pots. It's got another one. It's got two burners. It's got like a mega boil. I mean, it'll boil water in like 90 seconds. It's fantastic. So again, my wife is, um, she's going to cook supper on this new oven. And um, again, I'm not home, particularly when things happen with these ovens. So she starts to cook and she puts things in this pot, right? And, and she does what she would normally do. We had the old oven for so long. She's so used to doing things the way that she would do it there. She put a pot on, put the temperature on, put the water in, put the food in. And she knew in her mind that she had time to do some things. She goes outside, goes outside and then she comes back in. And when she comes back in, she finds the house to be filled with smoke. Because what had happened was, was that she put... This food on like she normally would, put the dial where she normally would, but this mega boil 
mega boiled the water out and burned up all the food very quickly so that the house then filled with smoke. But now I say that part to tell you this as well. Example number two is in every room of my house, we have a smoke detector. Not one of them bad boys was going off. Not a, not a single one, right? So, I mean, my wife has very acute hearing. She could be 100 yards at the road and hear that, but no alarm going off whatsoever. She finds out something is wrong when she comes in and there is smoke. So, again, potentially, the house could have potentially went up over something as silly as having measures in place, but alarm not going off. It not doing what it's intended to do to alarm you or let us know that something is wrong. Now, who would that have been on? If the, if the first oven, when that element blew, who would have been responsible if it would have burned down the house? That would have been me. I saw that there was a problem, and I said nothing about it. I didn't address it anyway. In the second sense, I knew that we had smoke detectors. I've never paid attention to a light not being on in all four of them throughout my house, oddly enough. And neither, not one of them, let my wife know there was a problem until she walked into the problem. As we look at, at Hosea 8 this morning, um, that is really the state of Israel at this point. Um, we've seen through from chapter 4 to chapter 8 here through chapter 7 that there's been accusation after accusation after accusation against the nation of Israel. Right? We know that they've been unfaithful. We know that they've They've gone after idols. They've looked to other people other than the Lord. They, we know and we've heard in God's indictment against them the wrongs that they have committed against God. But here in chapter 8, we begin to see continual accusations, but also the beginning of a pronouncement of judgment against, against this nation. And in verse 1, the Lord tells Hosea, he says, set the trumpet to your lips. Now, much like he tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33, he tells Ezekiel that he is his watchman. And Hosea, in the same sense, the nation, he is God's watchman, and he tells him to set the trumpet to his lips. The purpose of the watchman is much like the purpose of an alarm, a fire alarm or smoke alarm in your house. It's that when you see the enemy coming, that watchman is to blow his trumpet, and everyone inside that city knows exactly what it means when they hear the sound of that trumpet that something is wrong, the enemy is coming, you need to brace yourself. But what he says in Ezekiel 33 as he describes this, he says that if the watchman were to see the enemy coming and blow his trumpet, and the enemy makes it to the city and they make it inside and people die, those people's lives are on them, not the watchman, because he did his duty, they did not respond the way that they should have responded. But now conversely, if he saw the enemy coming and he refused to blow his trumpet and alert them, and people died, that would be on him. Just the same as if my house would have burned down, it would have been on me for not sounding the trumpet. But he tells Hosea, set the trumpet to your lips and sound the alarm. And then he says this, as one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. And I want to go ahead and read through our text this morning together. But he says, set the trumpet to your lips, one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Right? When do you typically see vultures circling? Right? It's when something is either dead or it's dying. It's on the way out. 
But he tells them that it's circling. It is getting ready. It is waiting. It is ready to fly down and begin to destroy. Verse 2, he says, to me they cry. My God, we Israel know you. That's the idea of them, them coming to God. They have the covenant. They have the law. But they've transgressed it and they rebelled against it. But they're coming to God as if they're saying, hey, God, it's, it's me. Right? It's Israel. Right? Remember Jacob? You wrestled. You broke his hip. You changed his name. We're his descendants, right? We're Israel. God, we know you. We have your promise. We have your law. It's as if that earns them something. They're able to do what they want rather than follow him because of who they are. Verse 3, Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. He's spurned or he's rejected the good. They've made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. It says they made kings. From Jeroboam 1 through, none of these kings were kings that the Lord set up. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 16, you can see how God sets kings up, how he appoints kings versus how these kings have been set. He says, I knew it not. With their silver and their gold, they made idols for their own destruction. And he says, I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. And some translations say he has spurned. It's Hosea shifting from the first person to the third person. And he's pointing out, he's like, Israel, he, God has rejected your calf. As you've rejected him, he has rejected your calf or your idol. And God says, my anger burns against them. And then as exasperatedly, he says, how long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. What God is saying is that you've rejected me. You've transgressed my law. You've rebelled against my law and my covenant. You've made a calf idol, and you've worshiped, and you have inquired of it instead of me. I reject it as you have rejected me, and I will destroy your idol. If you're not going to worship me, you're no longer going to destroy something other than me. That's what God is saying. But I want to back up, and I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning in verse 2. And I want to look at verse 2 and I want to lay it over Israel's situation there and I want to lay it over our situation today and look at some similarities, but what can we learn out of it? But he says in there, to me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. Much like in in chapter 5, verse 5 and, and, and 7, 10, says the arrogance of Israel testifies to his face. He believes that simply because who he is, they believe simply because who they are, they've got God's promise, therefore that promise earns them the right to do whatever they want. And they're confused by it. Like, God, we know you. We go over here and we sacrifice to you in your temple, but they're oblivious to the, the inerrancy of going over here and sacrificing to other idols and other gods. And we look at that and we would say, that's absurd. That is absurd. You cannot jail those two. They, they sacrifice to God, the one God, holy God, who set them apart, but then they go over here and they sacrifice to other gods. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And we would say, that is wrong. They should not be doing that. Yes, but how often do we ourselves do the very same things? How often would set up idols in our own lives, our careers, our, our children, our spouses, our hobbies, so many things we put before God in our lives, but yet we will come 
Once a week, we'll tune in. Once a week, we'll watch an hour worth of singing and a message, and we say we've done our work and our duty as a Christian and as a church and to spend the rest of our time with someone else. But it's absurd when you really begin to think about it. But Israel believed their, natural, their national heritage meant that they knew the Lord. In John 8, Jesus told um, some Jews who had believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. Everything follows that theme throughout this book of Hosea is, is knowing God, knowing the truth. But simply because we attend church or have attended church or we grew up in church does not mean in any way that you know the Lord. And some of the most troublesome words in the entire Bible, even for me and at some point in my life, is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what he's getting at is, is that you, you, you would hear the word of the Lord, but you would do the will of my Father. There's hearing and then there's doing. James in chapter 1, he says this. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres or continues or abides... Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We cannot, we cannot claim to know God and do nothing with what we claim to know. Todd Wagner said that, 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 that we do or we say what we think, but we do what we believe. But if we look at our nation and where we're at right now, the things that we see, if we turn on the news and we see the division and chaos and destruction that's happening in our country right now, the question is, why does it seem as if our nation is not blessed in its doing? But it's not because God is judging our nation. I've seen that, I've heard that, but it is my belief that God is not judging the United States of America. God is just giving the United States of America what the majority wants. We don't want him anymore. We, don't, we didn't want him in our schools, so we pushed him out of our schools. Then we start to see the destruction and the fallout in our schools. We push him out of our government. Our government becomes corrupt, and they lie, and they hide, and they seek to fulfill their own ends instead of the needs of the people. I don't want to make this political in any way, but I do want to highlight the fact that God is not out to judge our nation. He's just giving the people what they want. Because by and large, the people have rejected him. Israel's descent was gradual. We did not get to the point that we are at overnight. Our descent has been gradual to the point that we see it now. But Paul wrote to Timothy and he said this. He said, the time, he said a time is coming. And I believe to be now for sure that when people will not endure sound teaching... But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They will start buying the lie. There are churches full of people that have bought into the lie that simply believing in God and accepting Jesus as your Savior earns you things in this life and you're going to live happily. The wrench in the engine of the prosperity gospel is the state of our nation right now. 
Does, does, do we look prosperous in any way? No, because we have believed, we put up this facade of national pride and that we've got it figured out and we have this freedom to do what we want. And God says, yes, you do. And here's, you can have it. It's Romans 1. Again, some of the saddest words in all of scripture is he gave them up to the lusts of their mind and gave them up to their futile thinking and what they wanted. His word says, here's what's best for you. It's not a bunch of rules. There's this, the word of God is not a bunch of rules to kill joy, everything's wrong in your life. He's seeking to protect us from ourselves. But then he continues and he tells, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy he says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Our churches are full of people that believe the work of the evangelist is me because I'm on a stage. And they utterly refuse to do what God's word says because they don't know what it says. I grew up in church. I know God. But you don't know what it says and you don't do what it says. And the state of our country and our communities testifies to that fact at this point in our lives and in our history. The converse of James 1.25 is true. If hearing the word and doing the word means that you are blessed in your doing, if you hear the word and you refuse to do it, you will not be blessed in your doing. So does the current state of our country look to be one that is blessed? No, that is a resounding no. Everyone would say that, but now back up six months and answer the same question. And what would you say? How you answer that question in that time before it's utterly clear reveals where you're at. But the arrogance of Israel testifies to his face. We may be quick to judge Israel for its blindness through the backdrop of history, but refusing to see through the facade of national pride is just as foolish as looking in a mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like. But we have forgot what we look like, but may it not continue to be so for our church. Let's quit deceiving ourselves. Let's quit being deceived. Let's quit buying the lies of everything around us and the culture around us. And let's stand on the word of God. But we need to stop blowing the trumpet of opinion on everything that we believe to be wrong with our nation. Because it is very clear what's wrong with our nation. But quit blowing the trumpet on what everybody knows and start blowing the trumpet on the church Start blowing the trumpet on yourself for what people don't know that you seek to hide because if they did know, they would know you and you would be cast out. But the reality is, is you wouldn't. If you confess that and you make it known to that and you allow people to blow the trumpet in your life and you blow the trumpet in their life, then people know you, they accept you because you find out very quickly that you are not alone. C.S. Lewis said that friendship begins whenever you hear someone say, oh, you too? Nothing is new. Everybody struggles with the same sin or same, the same problem. And church, it begins with me. There are many men that I've given express permission to blow the trumpet in my life. When they see me saying or doing or getting out of step with the word of God or thinking something wrong or treating someone wrong, they have permission to blow the trumpet on my life. 
and speak into that. Church, I give you permission. It would be foolish for me to stand here or anyone else on staff to stand on this stage and not give you permission to blow the trumpet on our lives. If we're going to do it to you, we should ask the same of you to be held accountable to the word of God. But I promise you, if I'm going to blow the trumpet, I'm going to know the word of God and what he says about that. I'm not just going to sound out what I believe to be wrong. But if we are unwilling to do that for one another and receive that from one another, we will continue to be utterly deceived and our nation will continue to collapse around us. But I've said it before, we don't change the nation by screaming at the nation. We change the nation by starting right here. But may we love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said, by this, by this people, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, so might we love one another and love one another well and love one another enough to be accountable to one another. I would hope that someone would, be, would love me enough to blow the trumpet on my life when I'm doing something contrary to the word of God that's leading me in a path of a broken relationship or hurting someone or destroying my witness. I would hope that someone would love me enough to do that. And I know there are some that do. But in verse 5, the Lord, um, he asked this question. Um, he says, how long will they be incapable of innocence? I mean, it's a question that most certainly he knows the answer to. But he asked that how long will they be incapable of innocence or cleanness? But the same question is relevant today. But until we humble ourselves and confess our sinfulness, we will continue in our filth. We'll continue unclean. 1 John 1 9 says this If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to come and confess. It's admitting, it's knowing you have a problem, that you need help with that. So you confess that, and it's him that cleanses us. Psalm 119, 9 through 16 says this, and I believe it to be wonderful. And it has re reoccurred over and over and over and over and over and over for me and the people that are in my life as a staff at this church over and 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 over in the last four months. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalmist says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 9 again, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? I want to guard my way according to his word to maintain purity in my life. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says, blessed are you, Lord Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Right? He knows where the teaching comes from. See, the, the trouble a lot of times, too, with people is that we believe we know God or know the Word of God because we've read a catchy commentary. Not saying commentaries are wrong or Bible study is not wrong, but a lot of times we come on a Sunday morning or you're tuning in right now and you're having me tell you what the Word of God says, so then you walk away and you... You 
You repeat what I told you, but you're not repeating what the Lord has told you. The psalmist says, blessed are you, O Lord, you teach me your statutes. I don't want to learn it from somebody else. I can, but ultimately, God, I want you to teach me what your word says. With my lips, I declare all the truths of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That is how a man keeps his way pure. But the answer to the question that God asks, how long will will we be incapable of innocence? The answer is eternity. That is the sobering answer to that question that God asks us, is how long will we be incapable of innocence or cleanness? And the answer is eternity, unless we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, confess our sins, repent of our sins, and look to Jesus as our Savior, but not just our Savior, as Lord of our life. It comes with following. It is sad to me, and it breaks my heart to think of the many, many people who with their mind believe, "Ah, there's a heaven, there's a hell, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, therefore I need a Savior. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but you do not follow, you do nothing else after that because you do not want his lordship in your life. And the state of our country and the people around this scream that. They do not want lordship. I will wear a mask because I have the decision to wear a mask. But now all of a sudden you're telling me I have to wear a mask and I don't want to wear it. Because you don't want lordship. You don't want to follow authority. You want to do what you want to do. I want to do what I want to do. And that is contrary to the word of God. And it breaks even my heart when I think of my own flesh and I want to feed it. I want to do what I want to do, not because someone tell me to, told me to do it, because ultimately I don't want God's lordship. I have to daily deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. And if I'm not willing to do that, I will be everything that is wrong with the world around us. Instead of standing out and blowing the trumpet on my own heart. This is tough. It's tough when I think about that. Because if I really mean that and I tell somebody, I want you to blow the trumpet on my life, I know that I'm going to do something that's going to earn me a trumpet blow. But I hope that in that moment I'm humble enough to say, you're right, thank you. And confess that and repent of that and allow God to cleanse me of that. God says, be holy for I am holy. But it takes his doing, not our own. So I pray we start blowing the trumpet. Sound the alarm. Because the enemy is coming. Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you... um, I thank you for your your warning, Um, your word to tell us that judgment is one day coming. Lord, you tell us how to live better, what, what prosperity really means. 
our trouble is that we try to redefine what it means to be blessed, redefine what it means to, to prosper. We try and redefine morality. And in your just righteousness, Lord, you give us what we want, Lord. Lord, may it not be so with us. May it not be so with me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, let that be a continual prayer of my heart, of our heart, and to faithfully trust you and follow you wherever you may lead, that we would endure suffering, that we would do the work of an evangelist, that we would fulfill our ministry and realize that it's not our ministry, it is your ministry given to us. God, you've trusted us to reconcile the world to you. May we not take that lightly. Thank you for trumpets blown in my life. I could be utterly far from you, continually deceived if people didn't blow the trumpet in my life. And I thank you for that, Lord. I praise you for that. morning as we sing, Lord, I pray that you're glorified. We love you and we thank you and it's in your name we pray.